Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. If I sound a bit croaky, it's because the trees have started producing pollen. And, oh my God, so sympathies to everyone else who gets this, but it is is rampant at the moment. I have sneezing fits, so you wouldn't believe. Damon Hill, you, you are misfiring, my friend. You are misfiring. There's definitely not all cylinders firing there. But the fantastic thing is, when we go to Australia, it's not their spring, so their pollen's already finished. It's all upside down down there. Well, on that note, Damon, I think we should welcome everybody to our Australian Grand Prix preview here on F1 Nation with your good self, Damon Hill, and me, Tom Clarkson. And we've got teammates joining us throughout the show, uh, including Natalie Pinkham. And we've got a couple of cracking, to get my gag there, we've got some cracking good guests coming our way, Damon. Is this anything to do with Aston Martin at all, by any chance, Tom? Of course. We have Aston Martin team principal Mike Crack joining us in just a moment. But it doesn't end with him, does it? Who else have we got joining us? Well, I think we've got the boss of the Australian Grand Prix, haven't we? And we've got Natalie Pinkham. We have got, indeed, the CEO of the Australian Grand Prix, Andrew Westercott, joining us. But before we do all that, let's throw it back to last weekend, Damon, and... Uh, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Seems like a long time ago. Red Bull 1-2, Alonso P3. But is anyone going to beat Red Bull going forward after what we saw in Saudi? In the short term, probably not. But in the long term, it's going to be very interesting to see how these differentials in cost caps um, can have an effect and in aero time and all the limitations they put. So we're hoping that Red Bull will reach a glass ceiling and they won't be able to get squeeze any more time out of this car. But knowing Red Bull and Adrian Newey and all their clever people they've got there at Red Bull, they've probably got some next you know, magic trick up their sleeve as well. But a lot of talk about their speed on the straight. Lewis Hamilton was talking about their exceptional speed with their DRS. So they've done something clever with that as well. They have done something clever with their DRS, but it's worth noting as well that Red Bull were running less downforce in Jeddah than Mercedes were. So of course it was going to be a little bit faster in a straight line. But let's just imagine, let's talk about your glass ceiling. If Red Bull didn't improve that car at all for the rest of this season, how much are the others going to catch up? Because during that race in Jeddah last weekend, there were moments when they were 1, 1.2 seconds faster per lap than anyone else. And given the tightness of the regulations now, I think for a team to develop a car by a second a lap over the course of a season is a good job by then. So I, I can't see Red Bull being overtaken by anyone, even if they weren't, to improve their car at all. That is how dominant they are. But before Saudi Arabia, do you remember me putting out some sort of plea and, and chant for, for Checo? I was inviting everyone to, to root for Checo and maybe give him this extra boost, this sort of, the cosmos can kind of, we can engage the cosmos and, and inspire Checo to come up with something. We've still got a championship on our hands. Well, what happened? What happened in Saudi? I mean, Max couldn't catch him. So he was great, yeah. wasn't he? Well, Christian Horner told us last week, didn't he? That he thought it was Checo's best ever race, not just for Red Bull, but he thought chances are it's his best ever race in Formula One. Really interesting dynamic between those two, I felt after the race, you know, in the press conference, there was tension, definitely tension between them. Max furious that Checo had, had won the race. I'm not here to finish second, he told us. He looked like he was very upset that he'd been hard done by for some reason, but frankly, he had every chance to catch up with Checo and he couldn't. So, but he had to go through the field and everything, but that's because of a mechanical problem. The team's doing their best. You know, it's not like they've deliberately singled him out for anything. You are the perfect man to ask this question to. But what is the difference between an intra-team battle, as in within a team, teammates battling against each other, 
and an inter-team rivalry, as in the one you had against Michael Schumacher versus the one that you had against Jacques Villeneuve when he was in the next-door car. How much more intense is the intra-team battle? It's intense between the drivers, but as far as the team go, they know they're sitting pretty because they're going to win. They're going to win the championship, whichever driver wins. Um, they might have a preferred driver. It's unusual for teams to, you know, particularly hedge again, you know, in favour of one driver much more than the other. If they're in a position where they're going to come one, two in the championship and win the constructors' title, then yippee, you know, they're quite happy. When you've got intra-team rivalry and you're fighting another team for the title, then it gets really interesting. So that's what happened with me and Michael. So I was fighting Michael for the championship, but I was also fighting with David Coulthard within the team. And I couldn't get Frank to see sense and say, can you just get David to support me? Then we've got a better chance of winning everything than if I have to fight also with David and Michael. But, um, you know, I can understand from the fans' point of view, they want to see a fair fight. They want to see people racing against each other, not be playing games like that. Is it easier to get inside the head of your teammate than someone who's outside of the team? So I mean, you've, I'm sure you've told me in the past that you used to steal the chicken off Jacques Villeneuve's plate or something like that. Is that true? Right. So this is how stories get uh, twisted <laughs> over time. You know, it's the Chinese. You do wonder about the whole of human history. By the time it gets to about 2000 years from now, I will have attacked Jack with a chicken or something like that. No, what happened was, um, at the time, I'm now a vegetarian, so uh, this wouldn't have happened um, today. But back then, I ate chicken. And the, they used to bring their lunch, our lunches into the engineer's room, which is a tiny little room. But anyway, used to sit there. And Jack leant over with his fork and tried to nick my chicken. I thought, well, listen, I don't mind you, you know, trying to beat me out on the track and, and whatever you get up to with behind my back. But you're not having my chicken, okay? And... Uh, that was a point where we, we came to a good understanding between us. You know, yeah, you can you can race me on the track, but you're not taking the food out of my mouth. Okay, that's enough. So just to conclude on this point, do we think Checo can hold a candle to Max for the duration of 2023? I think he's got a better chance than anyone we've seen. Max has destroyed everyone that's come alongside him, but Checo has proved a little bit more feisty, a little bit more resilient to the tough environment at Red Bull and prepared to keep smiling and but still fighting for what he's there to do. You know, he does have a right to compete for a world title. He has a duty to himself. Every driver has a duty to themselves. And this is where I think it gets very interesting when teams start dictating to drivers what they want them to do. I just hope that Checo has got the fight when it really matters. I mean, when you look back over the history of Red Bull racing, Mark Webber, Sebastian Vettel, yes, we were told that they were free to race, but actually it was all about Sebastian Vettel and Mark had to fight really hard for everything. You may remember the radio call at Silverstone, not bad for a number two driver when he won there. Then you fast forward to when Max comes into the team, Daniel Ricciardo then became second fiddle. And I just hope that Checo has the voice within the team, but also the fight to really, you know, fight his corner, almost lay down the law. And I'm agreeing with everything you've just said, but just say, I really want this. And we're going to sell lots of cans of Red Bull in Mexico if I win the world championship. But please give me a fair crack of the whip. But just when you look at the history of Red Bull racing and most racing teams, to be fair, most successful racing teams, it always ends up being about one driver, doesn't it? Yeah, one one prevails. This is it. You can't have two winners in a team. Now, look, one final point on Red Bull is Adrian Newey's contract is up for renewal and it's being discussed at the minute within the corridors of power. Do you see Adrian keeping the tempo, the, his current tempo up? Or do you think with all the success he's had, do you think he's going to want to throttle back a bit? Yeah, so those people are not familiar, that familiar with the the backroom people in Formula One make things actually happen. Adrian Newey is, by a long chalk, one of the most successful, if not the most successful car designer in Formula One history. You know, his success rate is unbelievable. Every team he's been to virtually has won a Constructors Championship, driver's titles. I've lost count how many. So he's a key man. And uh, what he has to offer any team is invaluable. I can't help 
ignoring this thing he did in Bahrain where he stood in front of the Mercedes on the grid with his clipboard and stood there for a long time looking at their front wings. And anybody who knows Adrian will know, well, wait a minute, he's already got the most dominant car in front. Why is he looking at the Mercedes front wings? Was he really looking at the front wings or was he just standing in front of the Mercedes saying, I'm interested, you know, is that what he was really saying? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Pinks, hello. Uh, kids are on the school run. We've just been talking about Red Bull, the fastest car in Formula One. Is yours the fastest household in, uh, in Formula One? I tell you, we would push them hard for quickest pit stop this morning. It was impressive. The kids had no clue. I mean, they were like little zombies, but I packed them up, wrapped them up, pushed them out the house. <laughs> so if we had to compare Team Pinkham to a team in Formula One, Natalie, who would it be then? Maybe that's unfair. <laughs> Ooh. Well, Willow always says Alpine because she loves the pink. I think Team Pinkham is like Aston Martin. Okay, I'll take that. Why? British Racing Oh, because there's an old bird at the helm. <laughs> British Racing Green and and then uh, just, I tell you what, a great atmosphere at Aston Martin, as I'm sure there is at Team Pinkham. Because do you remember after after the chequered flag on Sunday, Alonso just got out of the car. His team were chanting his name. They love him. I know. Yeah. Much like my children in the morning. <laughs> chanting, mommy. But Alonso seems blissfully happy at Aston at the minute, doesn't he? Well, it's just incredible, isn't it? And it's... It's a lovely additional subplot to the season, this renaissance with his career. It just, it's exciting. It's cool to watch. It gives people like Daniel Ricciardo some hope, doesn't it? Uh, never say never. And actually, you know, he's made enough bad decisions with his career. It's great to see a good one. Great to see the fruits of his labour. And yeah, big smile from ear to ear. I think he's been re rewarded for his repentance. He seemed to have changed quite a bit. I think he realised a few years back that he probably self-inflicted injury on his career and a few places he's been. And I, and I got the sense he's been trying to sort of rectify that and, and make amends. And, and he's certainly endeared himself to everyone in sport now and in, uh, getting signed up by Lawrence Stroll, I think. Lawrence Stroll thought, well, if there's any trouble from him, I'm probably a match <laughs> for, for Fernando. So true. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't think uh, they probably, they're either going to, we, we looked at that, didn't we, thought, these rock and hard places together are either going to detonate or they're going to complement each other. But I think they probably is looking more like the latter, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, they seem so fast. And my goodness, what a difference a year makes. Because, of course, we're, we're going into Melbourne. Do you remember Melbourne last year for Aston Martin? They had four crashes over the course of the weekend. There's that great picture of Vettel coming back to the pits after... Uh, was it his crash in practice with his helmet just on the top of his head on a scooter coming back and the team ran out of spare parts and Lance Stroll crashing into Nicholas Latifi in Q1. It, the whole, it couldn't have gone worse for the team in Melbourne last year. And yet here they are now, Peter in the Constructors' Championship, second fastest car, you know, Alonso with his mojo back, Lance Stroll driving beautifully, having had this amazing comeback for Bahrain after his accident. Damon talks about drivers endearing themselves to the public. What about Lance Stroll? I mean, I feel like we've learned more about him in the last few weeks than we have the last few years. The tenacity and determination shown by him. And, and I think that's put him in a really strong place going into the rest of the season. I don't know if you guys would agree, but I think he is a much more engaging interview 
now than he has been in the past. I've always felt in the past that he resents doing the media work, whereas this year I've seen a marked change. And I do wonder whether it's got anything to do with the Netflix cameras who went over the winter uh, to Canada with him and spent a lot of time. And apparently I'm told that he really enjoyed uh, being with them. And now when you speak to him, he smiles at you. He answers your questions fully. It's, it's almost as if he... A bit like Alonso in a way. He wants to be liked. He's almost thinking of legacy. And instead of swimming against the current, why not swim with it occasionally and have an easier ride? I think you're absolutely right. He's changed. He's relaxed. He's, you know, got a better understanding of what everyone's trying to do. And he's playing part of that role now. He's playing that game. He's fully immersed in it. That's great. And I think that change has happened over the winter. You know, it is noticeable, very noticeable that he's come out of his shell and is keen to to engage. So something, some vibe has changed, like say over the winter, maybe it's the spring in the step they've got with his car, you know, and being with Fernando, maybe Fernando has given him some tips as well, you know, because if he was really bigging him up, wasn't he, after Saudi and saying what he is, he's probably never had that before. Yeah, yeah, they do seem to get on well, don't they? Yeah. I think you're totally right, Damon, because... It's important to remember they're at the opposite ends of their career. I mean, Lance isn't that young anymore. It's actually amazing to think how experienced he is. But Fernando, I feel as if sort of taking him under his wing in a very non-threatening way. He's not coming in here saying, I'm going to be your team leader. He said, I'm hopefully going to impart some knowledge and experience that you can benefit from. And it feels like they don't feel threatened by one another. They're just growing together and bringing the team with them. Pinks, hold that thought. Let's put it to Aston Martin team principal Mike Crack and find out how he thinks his drivers are getting on. They are getting along really, really well. I mean, they knew each other, I think, for more than 10 years before when Lance was in the Ferrari Driver Academy. And uh, you can really see um, how one is, is, is pushing for the other or one is helping the other. There is a very, very good dialogue that we have in the briefings, in the debriefs. Fernando was very, very helpful for the time, you know, when Lance was not there. Uh, when he had his injuries during the Bahrain test, and uh, Lance was connected, obviously for the for the debriefs and the briefings, but he was in touch uh, quite a lot with Fernando all over the test, and also now I think it's it's very nice. I mean, you saw you saw in Bahrain uh, both finish in the points. There was really a, a heartly puck, and uh, also now I mean, obviously Lance had a problem in in in, um, in Jeddah, but still. It's very constructive, but it's also there is there seems to be a friendship between the two, and this is, is very encouraging for us. Are they saying the same things about the car? They do. Lance obviously has has sometimes slightly different requirements, but it is not that the setup of the cars is is massively different or massively deviating. Fernando just has a bit more time, had more time in the car to to adjust his toolbox compared to Lance, who, ha- who virtually did no testing and uh, just goes session by session uh, over the race weekend. So I think Fernando knows maybe one or two tweaks more about the car than Lance just because he has driven it more. But all in all, uh, considering the exchange really well and also on the team side, on the engineer side, it's it's really a very good collaboration. So I do not think that there will result a disadvantage. Can we talk about them as individuals now? First of all, Fernando, what has surprised you about him? Nothing really. We sat down quite early, you know, even before we started the collaboration, and uh, we we examined, you know, his strength and uh, you know, discussed a little bit what to expect. You know, that we have someone here who is pushing us quite intensively, who brings a lot of enthusiasm, who brings a lot of energy to the to the team, but also who is extremely fast and very very efficient in his communication. So, if there is one thing that surprises me, the, there it's no stardom. You know, he's a very, very normal, honest, authentic guy. And normally when you when you when you get someone with these records, you think, oh, will I get a, a star? And, you know, we, have, we might have some special requests and all that. And this is not the case at all. You know, he's very, very normal, very easygoing. Of course, you know, a quick car is helping. But if there was anything to surprise me, it was maybe even knowing that. Well, all the rest it is as we will expect it to come. I've always thought that he's one of the cleverest drivers on the grid. He seems to know everything that's going on in the race around him. Um, When he communicates, I hang off his every word. Every sentence is worth listening to. I find, how do you find him? 
Yeah, you know, yeah, I think also, you know, he's not only the most efficient in communication, uh, he's also one of the fastest drivers. You know, we, we, or both, uh, he, he manages to exercise both in together in, a, in an extremely impressive way. And what, what you are describing, you know, that you hang on each word in the race. This is what I, what I thought about efficiency in communication. The positive thing or the great thing about it is on top of things at all times. So he's even challenging us in the race, you know, when he's driving in the, Massively competitive lap times. He's asking all of his questions, or maybe sometimes the, he's asking a question that we were have just having a discussion about. So uh, you wonder sometimes if he was hearing us on the radio. On the topic of Lance, is he back to full fitness now? You know, it's always difficult to to express a percentage. Uh, how how good are you? How fit are you? In Bahrain, he was really suffering. I think I cannot take my head off enough to show the respect for the performance and the the fighting spirit that he was having to make it to Bahrain. And I think he really was at pain. He really was at pain this second turn. I think it was already a little bit better in, in Jeddah. I think this, the track layout was also helping him. But I would not be thinking that he was at 100% because, you know, you know these things are taking a while to recover. And uh, we have to see for Melbourne how it's going to go. But uh, I think it will improve uh, for Melbourne. But all in all, if you see... Uh, not only the injuries that he was having, but also the issues that we were having. You know, when he got in the car, he, he had a technical problem. Then we had on Saturday in Bahrain, we had the issues in qualifying where the lab got cancelled. Then he had to go to the scales, we had to push the car back. So it was, it is a very stressful situation, not only for the team, but also for a driver. But he was really delivering. And then um, coming to, to Jeddah, again, you know, he has not had time in the car as, as, as others, but... Uh, he was almost on in the first row as well, you know. So he was on an incredible lap in qualifying three, and also when you saw his lap one pass on Carlos, I think you know this is this is really great stuff. And I really hope sincerely that we can deliver the result that he deserves. Well, let's talk about the car then, right? Have, how much more is there to come from this year's car? There will be more to come, as for every other team. So uh, we are at. At this stage, you know, because you have not so much testing, you know, three days sounds a lot, but it is very, very, very little. So we are going now to certain certain tracks, which are different in layout, which are different in characteristics. And you learn more each session about your car, about where, where it has strengths, where it has deficiencies also compared to others, but also uh, generally, you know, when what the drivers are saying. And uh, at this stage, it is really, really important to, to be on track at all times to learn as much as you can so that you can draw the right conclusions and uh, feedback the correct information into the performance development and then decide, you know, what is the next steps for us. Obviously, there's always a, a parallel, in parallel, there is the normal stuff running, you know, making the car lighter, making the car aerodynamically better, uh, but then also the little stuff that you can do on the mechanical side, uh, on the setup side, so that basically you can fill your tool, continue to fill your toolbox and improve the envelope overall. So, the gap to Red Bull uh, was about a second a lap at times in the race in Jeddah. Is that closable given the amount of wind tunnel time you've got relative to them? I think it's, it will be very, very hard to close such a gap, even if they were standing standstill. But we're not too preoccupied about this gap, to be honest with you. We, we have decided that we really need to look at ourselves and try to improve our car, and then we see where we end up with. It, it was the same last year, you know, you get obsessed by the gap, and then sometimes, you know, like you are a bit closer because someone has an issue, then the next time you are a bit more further away again because you have one. So this is all very relative, you know, the strength of one car, the strength of another one. That is also why I'm saying all this, you need a couple of, of samples, different racetracks, to really know where you are in terms of gap to the, to the car in front. And then it doesn't really matter if it's a second or a half. You, you have to work hard to close it. How would you describe the Aston Martin way? What is your, your way of doing things? That's a very good question, Tom. Um, I think we have a fantastic team. We have a fantastic team spirit. We saw it 12 months ago in Melbourne, actually, what the spirit this team is having, where everybody's helping each other, everybody's getting together after very, very difficult moments, you know, when it is easy to just break in pieces. And I think this is something which I have not seen very often because uh, you quickly can look for guilty people, you know, who is guilty and uh, what will we do next? And we were really stuck really strongly together. I think that is very good. And then obviously the, the brand Aston Martin, wow, you know, 
to be representing such a brand. I don't think there are many that famous, you know, so we have also a little bit of responsibility there to all our fans. Mike, you did mention Melbourne 2022 then. Um, if memory serves, your drivers had four crashes. It was a, a really horrible weekend. You'd only been in the job one month, I think it might be. Um, how tough was that weekend? And was that the moment that you realised the scale of the job you had ahead of you? First, certainly, yes. I mean, it was the first race uh, for Sebastian after his, his COVID uh, miss of the first two races. We had a lot of issues on the track. We had a lot of broken parts in the garage. We had uh, mechanics jumping from one car to the other, helping out to finish uh, finish cars. And we were still very, very low in the ranking with one of the slowest cars and zero points. So it was really, really hard at that point. But we took also a lot of positives from that day because we were getting together on Saturday night, all mechanics, drivers, engineers, senior management, we discussed what happened to us today, the positives, the negatives, and we really formed a strong unit, I think, from, from this moment. And we had also another misfortune on the following day because Sebastian had another issue on the, on the Sunday. But we went away from Melbourne as a very, very strong team. And we, we really decided to work hard together, to stick together in the most difficult moments. And we improved from then. Uh, at the beginning, it was difficult to see this progress because we have also a big gap to close. But all in all, I think at the end of the year, we could fight with uh, with the midfield. Um, so, yes, it was a very, very hard moment. And also, I realized the, how, how difficult it is uh, if you start like that. But it was also, from what I described, a very positive moment for me. And uh, I realized at that point that I can be privileged and fortunate to be part of such a strong team. You mentioned Sebastian. Has he been in touch this year, just commenting on how you guys are going and... Did you even talk to him about replacing Lance at the test and, and maybe at the first race if Lance hadn't been available? So we, we have been in touch. Uh, we were in touch for the new year, obviously. But then also uh, Sebastian was Sebastian-like, congratulating us, very gentleman-like, after our first uh, podium in Bahrain. I always said to him, you know, this is, is also your, your merit because he brought us really one step up over the previous two years. He brought us up in a lot of areas where we have learned a lot and we have progressed a lot. So he has certainly his part in where we are now. But he was he's comfortable with that. He was not in, in any kind of regretting or whatever because he was very conscious about his decision when he made it. And I think the respect between himself and the team or the respect between himself and myself really is shown by this great moment of, of congratulating us. That was really, really appreciated. And also I related to the whole team. And were you a teeny bit tempted to ask him to replace Lance had he not been available at Bahrain? Tempted, yes, 100%. But uh, we didn't do it because, again, we have such a high respect for Sebastian and his decision that he made at the time that I think it would not have been correct even to ask. We wanted to respect the way he was and we didn't want to put him in any difficult position. All right, look, perfect. And, and come on then, give us a prediction for Melbourne this coming weekend. You, you will have seen that we are not dreamers, we are realists. Melbourne is another track where it's a little bit in between the previous two circuits. I think we can be competitive. I think the weather is also not great at this moment in terms of predictions. So uh, we will have to see. We will work hard and I, I think you know we will, we will have to really have everything 100% to be able to stay where we were in Jeddah. Everything has to be 100%. And uh, then still, I think we will have to to make sure that uh, others are not improving. You know, we had two weeks in between, so it gives time for people to to bring new parts to their cars. And I think the competitors we are fighting, you know, they will have stuff every, every, every event. So I expect them to be stronger than they have been in Jeddah, and we will have really to get the maximum out of our package to be able to. Well, I'm sure you will. Mike, thank you very much for your time. It's great to chat. Thank you very much. See you later. Now, we've got to talk about the hometown hero, Oscar Piastri. Yes, Pinks. He's my guest on F1 Beyond the Grid this week. And I asked him how he's feeling about racing at home in Melbourne. First, it's going to be awesome. And, you know, it's amazing to have not just the home race in Australia, but in, you know, in Melbourne. For me, being 10 or 15 minutes away from the track is 
it's the closest home race I've ever had. And I think probably the closest home race a driver can ever have. You know, it's closer than my local go-kart track when I was a kid. So, so it'll be my first time on an Australian racetrack, full stop, and not a, not a go-kart track. So it's a bit weird to say that. Uh, after all these years, it's been seven or eight years since I raced in Australia. It's going to be a bit, a bit weird to be racing at home again, um, but it'll be an awesome experience. You can hear the full interview with Oscar this Wednesday on F1 Beyond the Grid. He's going into his home race off the back of a strong performance in Saudi Arabia, where he finished ahead of Lando Norris. Yeah, I've been very impressed with uh, Oscar. I think he's got a very confident air about him. He carries himself well, talks to the press well about what he's there to do. I'm not saying, you know, confidence. You say someone's confidence and it can sometimes sound like they're cocky. It's not that at all. He's he's very self-assured. And he's done a good job so far and, and brought the fight to, to Lando. I think Lando was felt a little bit under pressure in qualifying in Saudi. But, um, you know, good start, a good start. Yeah, very good. I think what he's done so impressively is to come in where there's clearly a lot going on around him. A lot of changes, a lot of unrest. And he's kept his head. He's kept calm. He is mature beyond his years in that respect, even though he still looks about 15. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my God, is it like police officers? You know you're getting old when they look young. But he is a a lovely guy. And actually, I'd love to see just how well he can do at home. He hasn't been home for a long time, has he? Or at least raced at home for a long time. Well, Pinks, this is his first car race in Australia. He's only ever carted in Australia before. That's the best way to start, isn't it? Start in a Grand Prix. Don't, don't <laughs> mess with all the other stuff, you know. Just leap from all of that and come back. As a Formula 1 driver, that's going to be the big success, isn't it? He's, he's in Formula 1. Uh, Australia have got an Australian driver back in, in the sport. It's not Daniel Ricciardo, but, you know, he had a run. And um, uh, he's not done yet, perhaps. But, but Oscar's the new kid on the block. And he's also... A Melbourneian as well, Melbourneian. But Mel, I got it. I had got to get this right because he's a Melbourneian. He's from Melbourne. Well, he's he's from Brighton. Obviously, uh, it's what fifteen minutes down the coast, isn't it? Yeah, a decent cricketer as well. Well, that's compulsory, isn't it, in Australia? Yeah, yeah. He has a cricket bat signed by Ricky Ponting. And uh, he still bowls a bit of, uh, I think he said, medium pace. Let's hope there's nothing medium paced about his weekend. (laughs) Okay, well, let's talk Piastri and all things Melbourne with the CEO of the Australian Grand Prix, Andrew Westergott. How are you? Good to see you. G'day, g'day, g'day. G'day, g'day, g'day. And you know what? I'm, I'm feeling sensational because when I left the circuit this afternoon, people said, see you in race week. Which uh, means it's uh, it's on our doorstep. Woo-hoo! One thing I know, Damon, because it um, resonate with uh, you and your father and everything. It's the 70th anniversary of Grand Prix racing around Albert Park Lake, which started in '53, and Sir Jack Brabham's birthday is on race day. So Lady Margaret Brabham's joining us, and it's uh, it's quite nice. Oh my God, it's a big day. It's a big day, and I and I see you've gotten some nice banners up around the circuit as well to celebrate previous winners, of which. I am proud to be one. You are. We we haven't worked out how many people are going to complain, but we thought we'd leave it up there so that um, well, the uh, it could be on the broadcast. I might I might come out one night, and nick it, and roll it up and take it home with me. For those the those listeners who can't uh, can't imagine what we're doing, I've just shown a picture of the banner that uh, yeah, it's got a picture of me uh, and it's on the side of the pit straight. I think it is right right up the start of the Grand Prix. Damon, yeah, I've told you many times that you are unique, and of course. You are the only man to have won the Australian Grand Prix in Adelaide and Melbourne. Back-to-back Australian Grand Prix because of, of this strange calendar anomaly um, whereby we ended in Australia and went and started in Australia, which is great. Yeah, it was. But yes, Damon, those um, Googling ferociously as we speak, it was 95, of course, that you won the last race and then went on when the race moved from Adelaide to Melbourne in 96, you won it again. So actually, that's a great pub quiz question, isn't it? So it was brilliant to, 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 to be there when it all started, Andrew, and it's, and it's developed usually. How, how is it looking for the future? Have you got a long-term contract? You know, I think uh, Formula One did all these back-to-backs. You were ahead of your time, Damon, by having the, uh, the, the back-to-back event, but they were spread over uh, a couple of years. And you know, But we've got it out till 2037 now, so it's... Um, it's sensational to have it have it that so that long, which is good for people's careers. It's good for the development of the circuit, and it's uh, 
it's really good for Melbourne to keep it away from um, people in Sydney. No, 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 no. <laughs> Andrew, I'm always so impressed when I come down to Melbourne, the atmosphere, because Australia, I'm not going to lie, it feels a long way away from home. But distance doesn't seem to make any difference. The passion when you get to the ground in Melbourne is, is palpable. I mean, it's just... It's brilliant to see the reaction we get. So no doubt that's starting to build even now. Well, I bet it has been for months, hasn't it? Yeah, it sure has, Natalie. And last year we had 419,000 across the four days and we capped it off at about a 130, but we only got to 128,000 on race day. But this year we've um, we've exceeded that already. So the way it's looking, we'll have 100 and, 130 on the Sunday, 128, 130 on the Saturday, about a 120,000 on the Friday, if you can believe it. But the great thing is we've got not only uh, Oscar Racing, OP81, we've got Jack Doohan, and then the good thing is with F2 and F3, we've got lots of young Aussies, um, Tommy Smith, Hugh Barter, and Christian Mantle, although Christian Mantle's racing under the English flag at the moment, but we'll sort that out. So, yes, there's a big big crowd coming (laughs) along, Natalie. Hey, Andrew, how big a deal is Oscar Piastri? Well, I mean... You guys are the ones who saw him in, in F3 and F2. We we were binging on it during lockdown as the most lockdown city in the world, and, and we were proud to overtake the uh, people in Argentina. But he's a high draft pick when it comes to, to football parlance, which we love here in Melbourne, and um, we can't wait to see him, him race. And the fact that he got into Q3 in Saudi Arabia was sensational, and he'll have a lot of fans in the stands because he hails from a, a place that's only... Well, 10 kilometres, so six miles from the circuit. And he raced go-karts about 10 miles from the circuit. So it's a nice story. And I guess it softened the blow of losing Daniel Ricciardo from the grid, the fact he was replaced by another Aussie. Because I know that Daniel leaving was a difficult one for all Australians to come to terms with. I mean, what, what, what was the atmosphere like towards that McLaren decision? Gee, I was in, I was in Hungary because my wife and I had had a holiday net in, um, in Italy and I went up there and I was confident that before all the announcements of that weekend that there was going to be two Aussies on the grid and I'm I'm punching the air and I you know little did I realize at the end of it all that there was only one Aussie I think for those who aren't close to the sport there was a little bit of confusion and um people thought that Oscar was the the bad guy and then you had Mark Webber involved you had even um Jack Doohan as a as a test driver for Alpine so it was pretty funny times how instrumental is an Aussie driver on the grid to the popularity of the race, to ticket sales? Look, it's always unbelievably popular. We saw, you know, when Mick Doohan was winning in MotoGP and then Casey Stoner and and now Jack Miller, but uh, in Formula One with Mark Webber, and then we were lucky enough to have Mark and Daniel there. It really, it really adds a boost. I would say in normal years without the surging popularity, it was 10% extra coming through the turnstiles. And what about the racetrack itself? Can you just tell us a little bit about the build? When do you start putting it all together? When do you start thinking about it? How long does it take to take down? Well, it's a, it's a massive task. There's 400,000 hours of labour that goes into it from a trades point of view. We start the early stage stuff of contractors, compounds and everything in, in January. But then it's about an eight to nine week build of the of the track itself. Put into perspective, we have um, this year 46,000 temporary grandstand seats and so they needed to be put in a little bit earlier. That was up from 39,000 the previous year and, you know, at the moment we've got about 1,500 people putting the finishing touches on the circuit and there were 4,000 builders inducted from our safety program. So it's um, going extremely well and then we return it back. I mean, for those who don't know Albert Park, it's a bit like sort of Central Park and Hyde Park on a on a flat basis and... Um, you know, the park keeps operating until Monday night of event week when we close the park at midnight to the, the public. So it's only on Tuesday morning at about 6am that they close the the entries at um, at turn five and probably around um, turn 11. And just on the topic of Oscar Piastri, is it true that he is now doing some tram announcements Mind the gap seems to me a very uh, suitable uh, thing for a Formula One driver to be saying. Yeah, and you know what? I happened to go to a um, a function in town, and and it was I knew parking would be a problem, so I jumped on the tram and I took a photo of the little hangers that come off as they 
The only way to get to the Grand Prix is by tram, and then I hear Oscar talking to us all. So it is true. <laughs> Andrew, we, lo- we we love coming to, to Melbourne because the, the, the paddock is a little bit like Silverstone used to be in the old days because it's a lot of grass there, and it's quite nice. You can you can come in and, and you can smell that cut grass thing, and, and there's a little bit of a carnival affair in the inside of the circuit and, and people wandering around. So it's got that lovely kind of you know, social event feel to it. But the, the marshals are always very good and, well, and friendly as well. I can remember coming in last year and the, the marshal person saying to me, as I went past, smile. <laughs> so, I, you know, they, they've definitely been in, trained well to, to get the vibe going. Uh, and uh, I must have looked a bit po-faced or something like that. Maybe I was jet-lagged. Well, uh, Damon, the grass is looking as green as uh, it was when you were last here. And I can tell you that... Um, We've actually got petunias in the Formula One paddock, and they are purple and white combination of petunias, and actually look very nice. There you go. <laughs> we'll have to you do think a special everything. section here on the petunias. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be down there with uh, your Australian broadcasters. Uh, I've got a weekend off from from Sky, so I'm actually with your your local TV crew, um, Channel Ten, and Tom's going to be with me. Um, so we'll, we'll look out for the petunias, Tom. Well, I I did see there's a, there was a a billboard image. I don't think it's on St Kilda Road just yet, but um, I did see the two of you and uh, and Tara Rushton and um, Alan Jones was in there, and he's pretty pumped up because his father was racing that 1953 Grand Prix, and it's is um, you know the world champion from 1980. So yeah, there's a pretty good array of uh, talent on on our host broadcast, the Network Ten. Andrew, was it the same racetrack back in 1953? Or how much has it changed? They started up um, opposite the swim centre at, uh, you know, the entry to turn three, but they went the opposite direction. So it was an anti-clockwise circuit. I'll tell you what, it'd be a lot cheaper to build the track because they just had hay bales. They didn't have any protection for the spectators. Uh, Basically, it was the same time around Lakeside. Brilliant. Well, uh, Andrew, it's a phenomenal event. We're all incredibly excited to be uh, getting on the plane on Monday and coming to see you. Who do you think's going to win? Let's just get a, the heads up from the boss down there. Oh, well, it's uh, not going to be any surprise. And I do think that um, it's going to be a, a Red Bull victory. They've won round here before on a, on a few occasions with Sebastian at the uh, the steering wheel. Gee, I, I love the way the cars are looking with the, uh, the Aston Martins. But the interesting thing is we've got a fourth DRS zone. And last year it was actually Fernando who didn't like it. But the fourth DRS zone coming around Lakeside and coming into turn 11 is uh, reinstigated and that'll make it quicker and we'll have to see what happens but at the moment maybe it looks um, predictable but let's hope there is a bit of sprinkle of uh, rain on Sunday afternoon the tickets have been sold but it could be a little bit um, spicy let's hope it is maybe and I've got a feeling that Fernando's going to like it this year I reckon he will Piggy so you've been, you can you can look that far ahead with that you think there might be a bit of a system coming through Andrew because um, you're so you're down there close to the roaring 40s aren't you in the in the atlantic i mean the, uh, down the southern ocean yeah yeah well as you know the um one of the biggest uh biggest wave events certainly not like uh, portugal but bell's beach easter classic is on and um a few surfers uh, we've got mick fanning there on the sunday uh, current world number one jack robinson and his wife and uh, there's a bit of talk that lane beachley a former multiple world champion going to be down there and maybe they'll take damon down after one of the channel 10 shifts for a uh, a Bill's Beach or a Winky Pop wave? I hope not. Because I, I'm not. I mean, I'm look not at there. your face, David. <laughs> hang, hang on. What is a Winky Pop, for goodness sake? Oh, Tom, come on. It's a it's a very famous wave. <laughs> They've got all these funny names. These uh, and some of them are called things like sewage pipe and stuff like that. Those waves, you know, they, they're, they're named after local local kind of uh, features of the of the terrain. Are they going to get any surfers come to the Grand Prix? Yes. Yeah. Well, we've got um, firstly. Uh, Jack Robinson, who I'm told is the, the world current world number one, is giving a couple of the Formula One drivers some lessons because we've got one of these urban surf facilities where it's got the mechanically produced waves. It's near the Tullamarine Airport where you fly in. And I don't know who's getting on the boards, but yeah, there's some surfers there on the Sunday of the event, which is going to be pretty exciting. I think we've got Ash Barty, our tennis champion from the Australian Open. Um, a few of the cricketers are coming along. So the great thing about the popularity is we've got... Uh, a lot of our um, humble sportsmen and women, which is great. Andrew, thank you so much. It's a brilliant event. It can't really wait. Is. Can't wait to see you. All the very best with it, Andrew. Thank you so much. Thanks, Natalie. Enjoy the uh, the season, even though we're not going to see you in Melbourne. And uh, 
I'll see your, your mates down in Melbourne. Take care. Pleasure. Bye. Rumour has it, Damon, you've got to go and catch a, a, a Winky Pop or something. Don't worry, I'll catch a Winky Pop if I possibly can when I'm in Melbourne. <laughs> Travel safe, DH. See you down there. See you, Tom. See you, Natalie. Bye, Damon. Well, Pink's always good to hear from Andrew. And, uh, you know, you're absolutely bang on right. It's it's a great race. The vibe in Melbourne is, is special, isn't it? I'm not going to lie. I have major FOMO right now. Just talking about the race weekend. It is a brilliant one to go to. It really is. It's got a bit of everything, not least a bit of every type of weather. Four Seasons in One Day was famously written about Melbourne. And I hope that he's right, that that does happen and we get a sprinkling of rain to really mix things up. Yeah. And then uh, what? Fernando Alonso gets his first win. But let's talk about Piastri quickly because, you know, we touched on it with Andrew, but big changes at McLaren since Saudi Arabia. Technical director James Key is out. They've created three new technical roles within that team. One of their new head honchos is not coming till January 2024, David Sanchez. So I feel McLaren is a team in transition at the minute. And my question to you, Pinkle, is what do you think Lando Norris is thinking right now? Well, hopefully he's thinking that he is the one consistent element that can actually draw strength from all of this and come out as, I mean, he already is a team leader, but he can really dig deep and carve a future with this team. I think it probably, in reality, though, is a bit disconcerting and slightly unsettling because change had to come, but it feels now as if there may be a positive trajectory, but are they going to start getting results anytime soon? I feel like it's it's a long, they're playing the long game. Yeah, it's going to be 2025, isn't it, really, before we start seeing the fruits of this change. And of course, the wind tunnel still isn't online yet. It comes on later this summer, which means, you know, the, the team is already thinking about the 2024 car, but that's going to be pretty much done by the current regime. So it's 2025. Can I mean, he's got a contract till 2025, Lando has, but I don't know. Is he going to be looking over his shoulder? Is he looking at how Perez and Verstappen's relationships going at Red Bull? In this sport, loyalty only takes you so far. Ultimately, you do have to have a car that you can win in, particularly if you're at the stage that Lando is in his career. I think McLaren is probably the perfect project for Oscar Piastri. He's probably coming at exactly the right time for McLaren. I feel that Lando is a few steps on from that and needs to start booking these wins right now. Yeah, well, so they're only a year different in age, Oscar and Lando, yet this is Lando's fifth year in Formula One and it's Oscar's first. I completely agree with you. That's a really good way of putting at it. You know, let Oscar learn the ropes away from the headlines, if you like. And then when McLaren come good, hopefully in a couple of years time, he'll be ready to to make hay. But I see Lando's situation as very similar to Charles Leclerc, actually, at Ferrari. They've both been in Formula One for roughly the same amount of time. OK, you know, I think Charles came in one year earlier, but... You know, they both want to take the next step. Lando wants to start winning races. Charles wants to start winning world championships. And is Ferrari the place for Charles to do that? I mean, that's the frustration, isn't it? Is that they have the talent to be winning races right now. And this is when they want to be clocking up those all important top steps of the podium. You know, like Max, if they're going to break records in the future, most importantly, are they going to become a world champion? They have to start doing the business right now. Okay, let's talk about Ferrari. Last year's Australian Grand Prix was a dominant win for Charles Leclerc. Here in Australia, we're racing. It's a good start for Verstappen, but a little bit of wheel spin allows Leclerc to get the legs on him. If Leclerc wins here, he's going to open up a gulf in the championship. Ferrari may well galvanise behind him as well. This is going swimmingly for him. Yes! Let's go, come on! Yes! What a start to the season for Charles Leclerc, race winner. In Australia, a stunning drive from the Monegasque driver. The car was, was incredible today, really. Well done, guys. What a difference a year makes. After leaving Melbourne in 2022, Charles was 34 points ahead in the championship, 46 ahead of Max Verstappen. OK, we don't know what's going to happen at Albert Park just yet, but he goes into this weekend 
a lowly eighth in the championship on just six points. Six points! And I think for Fred Vasseur, team principal of Ferrari, for what now, two months? I think it's been such a reality check for him in that... I think he's come in and just seen the scale of the project now at Ferrari. Everything about the first two races makes me feel that Ferrari are a little bit undercooked at the minute. They're just not getting anything quite right. The car isn't quite fast enough. Charles is already expressing a little bit of frustration over the radio as he did in Saudi. I thought Carlos Sainz had a bit of an off weekend in Jeddah, just wasn't quite there in qualifying or the race. There just feels that, you know, they're they're half a step behind Aston Martin and two steps behind Red Bull at the moment. And, you know, such is the relentless pace of Formula One. Can Ferrari make up the difference? So what do you do if you're Charles? What do you do if you're Lando? I think you just got to, you know, knuckle down and and try and help motivate the people around you. Do everything you can to improve the car or your respective cars. But and if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? So yeah. this is where they earn their stripes, they earn the big bucks, is that they get stuck in. And that's what will make the victories all the sweeter when they eventually come, because they will come. They will come. They're too good for them not to. Pinks, do you know the extraordinary thing is we're talking about McLaren, we're talking about Ferrari. You could also, it's, it's exactly the same conversation, really, when with Mercedes, isn't it? All three are just not quite there at the minute. And, and Mercedes... For George and for Lewis. Yeah. I thought it was interesting to see George outperform Lewis in Jeddah. I mean, I think he's always been very good in Jeddah, has George, whereas I think Lewis has always slightly struggled there. And, you know, Lewis came out, particularly on Saturday evening, saying he's not comfortable with the car around there. But he wasn't comfortable last year either. So I think Lewis will go better in Melbourne than he did in Jeddah. I think it, there is obviously something about the track that for whatever reason he doesn't like. But still, Mercedes are behind where they should be. And yes, they're making gains in the wind tunnel and they're changing the the concept of the car, we're told. But can they make up the difference in the rest of this year? Red Bull are so far ahead. They're, they were more than a second a lap faster than anyone else in Jeddah. And if they don't develop their car at all between now and the end of the year, there's every reason to think they'll still have the fastest car when we get to Abu Dhabi because a second is a lot of time for any team to make up. OK, but before anyone even considers switching off and not sticking with us for the rest of the season, there is a long way to go. There are 23 races in this season. We've only had two of them. Reliability is going to count for a huge amount in this. I mean, they're only one DNF way. Suddenly, you've lost 25-point haul with one race. That things can change, as was proven last year in the early stages. Things can change, of course. And we're obviously heavily reliant on that intra-team battle between Checo Perez and Max Verstappen as well. You know, we've had some of the best seasons we've ever had in Formula One is when we've just had two teammates going at it, whether it was Hamilton and Rosberg back in 2016, Senna and Prost, of course, in 88 and 89. You can still have a brilliant Formula One season, but... I just think Red Bull are doing a phenomenal job at the minute. And I think, you know, Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren, Alpine, they're all just not quite where they were expecting to be at this stage of 2023. Now, of the other teams, I think we've got a bit of a home race to talk about for Valtteri Bottas, Pinkle. Oh, the honorary Aussie. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he spent five weeks in, in and around Melbourne over the winter. He's gone and got the mullet. He took pictures of himself drinking VB, of course. I know that he's launching his new gin that uh, he's done in... Uh, conjunction with a distillery in uh, in Melbourne. His girlfriend, Tiffany Cromwell, is Australian. How much more Aussie can you be without actually being an Aussie? And I sense a very much more laid back Valtteri Bottas in true Aussie style as well. He's just enjoying it all, isn't he? Yeah, and he's really funny. <laughs> we never saw that humour at Williams or, or, or Mercedes, I didn't think. Yet now the pressure's off and... He's absolutely flying. I mean, he had a frustrating race in Saudi. His car was damaged by some debris coming off. I think it was Oscar Piastri's car on the opening lap and he was struggling with tyre wear thereafter. But I, I think the Alpha is a decent car. They've made big strides since last year. They're, what are they, sixth or seventh? Sixth in the 
in the Constructors' Championship. Joe set the fastest lap in Bahrain at the opening race. There's there's a lot for them to be happy about at the minute. Yeah, and I think, again, we've, we, we've touched on it um, already, the importance of teammates that get on well, a la Fernando and Lance. I feel like Joe and Valtteri just kind of click. They don't seem to... Look, you obviously always want to outperform your teammate, but they don't seem to threaten each other in the same way. They, there seems to be quite a decent harmony there. Do you remember in Brazil last year when... Valtteri was giving some tips to Joe during the race over the team radio. He was, I think he was giving some advice about how to overtake the car in front. Was it Magnussen? Uh, you know, try getting him under braking for turn 12 or whatever it was. But I, I've never heard, I've never heard two teammates converse like that over during a race over the radio. Now, talking of team dynamics, I'm fascinated by the one at Alpha Tauri because Yuki Tsunoda, it has to be said, coming into this season, will have been feeling the pressure of Nick de Vries being promoted, having had that dream debut in Monza where he scored points for Williams. And he was the talk of the paddock, and then suddenly he pops up at Alpha Tauri. So it's really important for Yuki, with Pierre Gasly on the way out, to assert himself and really blossom into this role. Because frankly, I think if Nick de Vries had outperformed him in the first two races and continue to do so too to the summer break, Yuki's Formula One career may be under threat. But, and by the way, I am really bolstering my commitment to the Yuki Sonoda Appreciation Society, of which I am founder and chairwoman. Yeah. I think he's done brilliantly. I think he has responded really well to that pressure of Nick joining the team. And we heard Michael on the pod last week. Uh, Michael's been a good friend to him, Italiano, his trainer, but also helping with his fitness, which, you know, Yuki makes no secret of the fact he doesn't particularly enjoy. But it's good, you know, maybe this is exactly what he needed with his career, just an extra bit of pressure to say, come on, Yuki, it's now or never. You've got to start really delivering. My concern is, is that he's not going to have the car to really show his worth and prove his talent, but he's been just outside the points, finishing 11th in both races so far this year so I think it's only a matter of time before he breaks that and and gets into the points well Alpha Tauri have got a, a new aerodynamicist starting very shortly so hopefully they can make strides with the car going forward but the thing about Yuki I, I, I agree with you and but it's not just his speed I thought Kevin Magnussen said a couple of really interesting things on the pod last week because when we caught up with him we were talking about their battle in the closing stages. And he said that Yuki was positioning his car really well in that battle and making it really hard for Kevin to get past. So he's an intelligent racing driver, not just really fast and acting as a team leader, but actually in terms of just getting out there and getting your hands dirty and, and getting stuck in, in a racing context, he's proved that he can do that as well. And I think, you know, Magnussen is, is a hard man when it comes to racing and to have his respect in a racing situation is is a feather in the cap of Yuki so well done to Yuki. Tom can we talk about Logan Sargent because I thought he had a great debut in Bahrain and really looked like he was enjoying himself. Do you remember we caught up with him after he was so stoked wasn't he? Yeah buzzing. Saudi was sort of off a race weekend for him which inevitably was going to be I mean it's a really hard circuit it's a really hard calendar for a rookie just explain why yeah that's a good point pink so you go to bahrain you have a test a pre-season test at bahrain which is a conventional racetrack you then have the opening race in bahrain and of course if you make a mistake you can run wide there's lots of runoff there but then race two you're straight into the fastest street track in formula one no room for error so it's very easy to make a mistake and and you'll be punished hard for it. So uh, I think that's what we saw a little bit of from Logan uh, in Saudi. He said after the race that he's learning a lot, but it was a hard track. But then, of course, from Saudi, you're then going to Albert Park in Melbourne, which is another street track, punishes mistakes. Then it's Baku, another street track, really difficult to find the limit of the car. Then we go to Miami, which is another street track. And it's only when we get to the middle of April late April, when we go to Imola, that we actually get to a point where we're back at a conventional racetrack and we can all 
breathe, relax and, and do what comes naturally. Because I think the intensity of a street track is so much higher that it's really hard for a rookie, someone like Logan, who's had very little mileage in a Formula One car. And you could say the same about Oscar Piastri as well. Even Nick De Vries. Yes, Nick did that one race at Monza last year, but he's very much a rookie. Although I think Nick is slightly helped by his Formula E experience, which is all street tracks in the past. So I think he's a little bit probably more comfortable on street tracks than the guys around the other rookies. But it's a really hard calendar. And I think for Oscar and Logan in particular, we've got to wait until the middle of the season before really, you know, gauging exactly how well they're doing. But everything we saw from Logan in Bahrain proved to me that he deserves to be in Formula One and everything that we saw from Oscar there as well proved that he deserves to be in Formula One. Okay, he had reliability problems there, but Oscar seems to be taking it all in his stride. And I thought Damon made a very good point earlier in that, you know, Lando Norris is perhaps feeling the pressure a bit from Oscar. And was that the reason why Lando made that mistake in qualifying? Because there's just a there's a little bit more pressure on Lando this year than there was last year when Daniel Ricciardo was very sadly struggling so much. So difficult opening part of the season for, for everybody, but particularly the rookies. But what a way to start your Formula One career. I mean, you learn fast. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah, you have to learn fast in Formula One. You know, otherwise, I mean, just back to... You know, your friend Yuki, I think Helmut Marko, you know, Red Bull's motorsport advisor, has been pretty harsh with him over the winter saying perform or else, hasn't he? So, Pinks, you're not coming to Australia, are you? Oh, don't rub it in. <laughs> that FOMO is going to kick in, but you're going to be watching. What's your podium? OK, let's think about this. I'm not <laughs> going to go for the predictable Red Bull 1-2. I'm going to say something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Fernando is going to be on the top step. Fernando is oh. going to win his 33rd Grand Prix in Australia. That would be amazing. Well, let's if that rain that Andrew Westercott was talking about arrives, anything can happen. It's, it's a very slippery surface in the wet is Albert Park. Well, I'd love to see that. Go on. And then who's second and third? What, Logan Sargent second and Nick DeVries third? <laughs> No, I think Piastri, go on, give Piastri some <laughs> bit of glory in front of his own fans in that McLaren. Hey, who says McLaren's struggling? No, look, I think it is impossible to look beyond Red Bull for a really strong performance, but you never know those changeable conditions, reliability. You know, this is why I love the sport. Anything can happen. So I am clearly not giving you a prediction. Go on, what do you think? Yes, it's hard to look beyond Red Bull, but my surprise is actually Ferrari. I think they've always been pretty hooked up around Melbourne, whatever the regulations. Since we first went there in 1996, they have a good setup there. And Leclerc was dominant there last year. And, you know, this year's car is a continuation of the car that they were using last year. It's an evolution. And while they haven't got the pace, I'm not saying they've got the pace of, of Red Bull, but I think we're going to see Ferrari take a big step forward. Let's not forget that Leclerc was, he qualified second in Saudi Arabia, just a, a tenth and a half off Sergio Perez. He then got the 10 place penalty, which ruined his race. But, you know, if he can put it up there in qualifying, I think he'll be there or thereabouts. So I'm going for a Max Verstappen win, Charles Leclerc second, Fernando Alonso third, Ooh. Checo Perez getting that fastest lap that he didn't get in Saudi Arabia. Well, I like the sound of that podium. Yeah, nice. Let's check in with our F1 fantasy team, F1 Nation Racing. Our two constructors for Saudi Arabia were Red Bull and Aston Martin, and our drivers were Verstappen and Alonso, both on the podium, then Leclerc, Albon and Hülkenberg. Verstappen was our top scorer. He got points for taking the fastest lap and for fighting his way from 15th to 2nd. But we lost points on Alex Albon because he retired from the race with brake problems. We're going to make some changes to our team in a moment. But first, let's see who's top of our league, the F1 Nation World Championship. Silverstone 2022 is top with 706 points. They've got both Red Bull drivers and Fernando Alonso in their team. So they had a very good weekend in Saudi. Then in second, it's the damn must hold with 695 points. Very well done to them. And in third, living up to their name, top tier one. Well, what about our team, F1 Nation Racing? 
We're currently 191st out of the 650 teams in the league. And let's make some changes for Melbourne to try and climb up the table. Well, first, we've got to have hometown hero in our team, Oscar Piastri. So he's in. Let's keep Alex Albon because he scored a brilliant point for Williams in Melbourne last year. And hopefully he'll do it again this time. And Sergio Perez is on form, so let's bring him in in place of Charles Leclerc. I actually think Charles is going to have a good race weekend in Melbourne, but we don't have the budget in our team to have both. And we'll keep Aston Martin and Red Bull as our constructors. You have until the start of qualifying on Saturday to make changes to your team, and you can join our league at any time to compete against us and other listeners. Search for the F1 Nation World Championship. And if you're not playing yet, it's not too late to join and it's totally free. Just search online for F1 Fantasy to sign up, then choose your constructors and drivers using a $100 million budget. Good luck. And before we go, a quick word about Ask the Nation, which is your opportunity to pose questions to any one of us in the team and we'll do our best to answer. So please do send in your queries. As ever, please record a voice note and email to the following address. F1Nation at F1.com. That's F1Nation at F1.com. We really look forward to answering your questions. All right, Pinks. When I next see you, I will have spent 48 hours on a plane. Safe travels and have a couple of cold tinnies for me, okay? Enjoy. I'll do my best. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next Monday from the Melbourne paddock to wrap up the 2023 Australian Grand Prix. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.